how much can I forgive it because it's a novella or do I need more even out of that novella to make certain things make like there were things that were just nonsensical like I needed to know why the world was the way it was like you get an idea sure. the way it was yeah I think that's the thing with novellas is that there's because of the limited space mm -hmm. it's less I, I was reading a writer talk about the difference between when they write novels and when they write novellas when they're writing a novella they just say what they want to say mm -hmm. and they don't elaborate they just so they, they don't just have to fluff it. it yeah yeah the, but with a novel because you have so much space you show everything so that the well even as a novella sort of like I've read other novellas where like uh, yeah the, it's very direct it's very quick yeah but I feel like this one was definitely rocketing rocketing ahead at 88 miles per hour Wow. Um, huh. I mean I still enjoyed it I yeah. haven't decided what I'm gonna give it out of five stars sure but um okay I got I got to think about it for another day, but sure. that's what I'm that's what I've read, and I'm not sure what's next on my plate. Okay. Um, I have a couple things, but I'm not sure. Um, that's fair, Aaron. Hello. That is Aaron. Uh, Aaron Blome, the Supreme Overlord. Just as a reminder, she supremely overlords everything. Absolutely. Especially when you mispronounce her surname. Yes. Wait, how do you say it? Bloom, like the flower. Yeah. I've been here two and a half years. Anyways, Aaron. Congratulations, you finally learned. Um, <laughs> oh, quick shout out. I just finished late last night my rewatch of the Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy, uh, the films, the Peter Jackson films. And as I said on social media, I'm always amazed how well they have aged. Yeah, they're really good. Aaron, sorry. Okay. Um, <laughs> So I am currently reading, and I'll even tell you what I'm reading when I finally come back from my vacation. Oh. Um, just because it's in the back, and I'm waiting for it to come out, and I'm too excited for it. So you're going to take it on the plane with you? No. Oh, I would. Um, I'm not taking library books with me on the plane just because I have a tendency to lose things. That is And smart. I don't want to have to pay it for that, it again and buy it again. That's fair. <laughs> um, so the first thing I'm reading at home right now is speaking of the theme for today, the overall arching theme, not like the specific author theme. Yeah. Um, I'm reading um, It Rides a Pale Horse by Andy Marino. Okay. Um, it is basically the whole entire thing is... Um, there's two siblings, uh, Peter and uh, his sister Betsy, and they are moving back to their hometown, and they have this house that they've gotten, and Lark, who's the main character, so that's Peter, he's going to go deliver a piece, they're both artists, he's delivering a piece to a buyer, mm -hmm. and... Um, this whole entire time, um, this transaction's pretty normal, um, everything's fine, except uh, the guards in the whole entire time play him a feed of his sister being abducted, first of all. And then he's informed during this whole entire transaction that his sister is safe for now, but he's been given a book, and he has to do what the book says for his sister to go free. Otherwise, she dies. And so it seems normal enough, except, you know, the book is a little bit demonic. Uh, okay. And uh. so he has to, you know, figure out how to get his sister back and deal with this book. Okay. Uh, meanwhile, uh, cool. when I come back from vacation, I'm going to be reading Sign Here by Claudio Lex. Okay. Um, it is a humorous 
horror kind of novel. I guess it's horror. It's not really. It's more humorous than that. Okay. Where uh, the main character uh, is a guy, and this guy works in hell on specifically one of the specific levels, and he's going to be getting a promotion. Now, the only way he can get a promotion is if he convinces, if he kills the part, or is he re he's responsible and reaps the death of somebody from a very prominent family. Oh, okay. <coughs> Plot twist, uh, that person or one of the family members signs a contract deal with the devil. <laughs> so he has to work around that to get a promotion <laughs> to get to the next circle of hell. And it's supposed to be hilarious. Okay. Vaguely reminiscent of The Good Place. Yes. Uh, yes, and I was going to say it reminds me of um, uh, that show, Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell. Yes. And then meanwhile, I'm also playing a game called uh, Potion Permit that Ooh. came out like last month. And it's basically like a Stardew Valley, but not really. Okay. Yeah. So you are a doctor, you're a chemist, and the residents of your town are sick, and you have to go forage and create potions and yeah. help them and heal them all back to health. Nice. And so, you know, that's what I'm doing. Lord-ish. What is <sighs> thou reading today? I, I artsed. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, uh, I'm still reading 300 million. I've... I haven't. I just haven't been reading a whole lot. Sure. I've gotten distracted. Watched a lot of movies. Yeah. What did you watch? Uh, 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 yesterday I watched two movies. I watched uh, The Fly again okay. for Spooky Season, which yeah. is Spooky good. Season. Um, and I watched a movie that I've been putting off for a super long time, um, Dragged Across Concrete, which Ooh. I really liked, and it was extremely brutal. Okay. Um, I mean, the the name just sounds exactly like what it is on the tin, though. If you've seen Bone Tomahawk or um, uh, Brawl and Cell Block 99 is the same director. It's Vince Vaughn and Mel Gibson. But, Interesting. Um, so, yes. Okay. So, so it, it, it's, it's a cop thriller, basically. Okay. Um, it came out at the height of the conversation around police, police brutality, and it I could see it pushing some people the wrong way with how it handles this. <laughs> I could see that. Um, but just it, it handled, I don't know. It's it's a very nihilistic movie in okay. general. Um, yeah. It's just so like it's really long. The scenes are drawn out, but it lets oh. you breathe with the characters. Yeah. And the length just like in the last third of the movie just makes the suspense almost unbearable. Wow. It's just yeah. It's, okay. it's, it's it was good. It was good. Um, yeah, that's basically it. And I, I'm playing Elden Ring still. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. How's it going? Okay. <laughs> oh, so this what does that mean? going yep. really well. I need to, I need that to level up. That means he's playing a Souls-like game. That's what I need means. to grind a little bit. Yeah. So. All right. All right. I have not yet. The answer to okay really just means it's going very well in terms of a Souls-like game, dear listeners. Yeah. So the world, the world does just keep getting bigger. Like it, when, when I think that, like, oh, this is this is the boundary of the. You know, oh, oh, just, that is. We're done. Thing. This is we're done. This is the end. No, it's not. Here we go. Next oh, one. Really quick. Did you play cool. Skyrim back in the day? Oh, of course. I. Okay. I so, still play Skyrim. Yeah. No, we'll I, have to talk more about that, like how it compares. But. I waited outside for Skyrim. In the freezing cold. Oh, you're... I, in November? In November. I knew I loved you. Just, you weren't you in school? Yeah. It was a school night. It was a school night. <laughs> I, was able, I was able to play it for like half Girl, an hour and then my You act like away. an entire generation of people did not grow up going to midnight signings for a book by a lady who's... Books, <laughs> I mean, movies, video game. Like, come on. 
I only went to the movie. Come on. Like I only went to the movie. Like, My mom was like, you can't do that. Like. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tony Lee. Mouth from the South. I let's just say that right now the yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start with Star Wars kick right now. Um, I'm never no, fair. That's not true. You're always on a. Star I'm always Wars on a Star Wars kick, but I'm on a Star Wars kick right now. Um, <laughs> I mean, from so what you told me, it's understandable. What is being de- finished downloading on my Xbox again? Because I have decided that if I have to stand as far away from my TV as possible just to get through. The the Wookiee planet, <laughs> um, I will do it because I. They're I spiders. It. They're spiders. <clears throat> they're big and they're green. And, and they're except horrible. for the giant albino they're one. They're like the size of my character, and he's carrying a lightsaber. He, there's no melee weapons here. I can't just shoot them from a distance like I can in Skyrim, and they rush up on you. Two or three at a time. Tony's playing uh, Fallen Jedi. Yeah, Fallen Order. Yes, I. It just. It's too much. But I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it this weekend. I'm gonna spend when you a get to the end. Time. When you get to the end, let me know what you think of the Inquisitors. First of all, you have to understand. In the Star Wars universe, my favorite addition to the Star Wars universe has been the Inquisitors, and that is saying something because I felt that they were the weakest component of the Obi-Wan series. No, she she's coded. Like, easily. One of them is coded Visual, in like a certain visually, way, and I want to know if Tony picks up on it. Visual, if you've seen, you haven't seen Rebels. If you've seen Rebels, you would understand what I'm saying. The, the Inquisitors were introduced in Rebels, and they were bam. No, I'm just like, I'm not disagreeing necessarily. Oh, I'm just oh. like kind of reliving some of like, there were a lot of weaker visual elements, too. Oh, well, he and I disagree on this, but <laughs> That anyway, is for another episode another, later on. That was one of them, too. Yeah, that is for it, yes. our other next make But as for my too, other though. things, I'm, in terms of what I'm reading, I just finished this morning listening to uh, Shadowhunter. Its original title is Darth Maul Shadowhunter. But anyway, fantastic book. It's written by Michael Reeves, one of the uh, originate, original writers in the Batman the Animated Series. Um, but he's an even Love. better, he's an even better novelist. He's fantastic. Um, he, I read this book when I was like 12. It was the first book that introduced con- complex narrative to me, and I'm still impressed. Like I'm still all these years later going, dang, he's just, he's good. But this was different because it's the audiobook read by Sam Witwer, who voiced Darth Maul in the Clone Wars and Rebel series, but he also voiced and was the body figure for um, Starkiller in the Force Unleashed games. Um, and the man is a voice actor for a reason. Like, it's disgusting what he can do with his voice. I, 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 it's like listening to the guy, Charles, who does uh, the voice of Mario, also does Parthenex in uh, Skyrim. Yeah, like I follow him, I follow him on Instagram, partly for the dogs that he rescues, but I really follow him on Instagram because well, he's also hot. But I follow him on Instagram because he's a really good voice actor. <laughs> I can attest to that as well. I've listened to a number of books narrated by him. I know I just sounded um, like none of them related to Star Wars. Go figure. Oh. I know I just sounded like that person who you know actually reads the magazine articles in Playboy. No, that's not how I. I really do follow him because he's a great voice actor. Actually, once upon a time, they were pretty good. Legit oh articles. gosh. Next. Um, let's segue immediately to the topic at hand, which is the 50th anniversary I just slash, hate Hugh of this whole so, entire yeah. thing. Yes, and, we have um, turned 50 today. Yay, which means what? 
Which means we have like 17 more years until we can retire or something no, like that. No, that's not what I meant. If you, <laughs> if you discover the subliminal uh, trivia question within this episode and answer it correctly, um, you can deposit your answer at 143 East or you can email it to us at Adrian District Library at adrian.lib.mi.us. You win a trip to Disneyland. Okay, I'm lying. There is no subliminal message. Or, we'll give you some swag, though. Also, I feel yeah. like it's kind of inappropriate to mention Disneyland in a Stephen King episode. Like, if there were ever two Do I need entertainment to entity, entities at no. odds with Wait, did you say Stephen King? Oh, We're getting better at this. Never getting through this episode. No, I, I know. We're like half an hour in. <laughs> I have a question. Do I need yeah. to actually reiterate the uh, joke again? Is there a joke? Yeah, it's at a, the end. Or do you want to do it now? Okay. I, I'll do it at the end. Okay, really quick. Who has read? I mean, have we all read a Stephen King novel? I've read. Mm-hmm. I know I have. I I've know read you the have. body. You read the body. I read the body. That counts because it was published as a novella. I read it because I watched the movie. Actually, from that the novella, the, the collection, really there was uh, different seasons, which had the body. Um, was it called the apt pupil in the book as well? Um, I don't know. Shaw, uh, Rita Hayworth or a Shawshank Redemption. Um, oh, was that in there? Yeah. Wow. And I can't remember the fourth one. Oh, yeah, and then I read the, One for the Road. I remember that one, too. Like the fourth compilation of short stories? Yeah. Oh, okay. I read that nice. one. I read, and then also Salem's Lot. I read Salem's Lot, too. Ooh, Nightmares. Because we had to read it for my film. Oh, it does have, wow. His, like, Literature to film class I had yeah. to watch because we read Salem's Lot and then we watched the actual like movie. You read Salem's Lot? Yeah. You know how big that book is? Yeah. Like it's sitting on a pristine, a pristine copy of Salem's Lot came in um, like a month ago, maybe two months ago. And it's been sitting on my desk because I'm afraid to take it home. <laughs> Like it's just it's so pretty. Like I don't know. Like and it's from it's from a while ago, so I'm like, how did someone manage to have this book this long? And like, did they never touch it? Did they just dust around it? Like I, I, it's so pretty. I don't understand. So you know. Anyway. And you were you were assigned it for class. We got we had to read a little like sliver of it at first. Sure. And then like I just kind of read it afterwards. Yeah. It, this was back in high school, so I don't remember most of it because I have the uh, attention span of an ant at times. <laughs> but um, <laughs> like we did read a segment of it, and then we watched the movie because we it was a film lit film and literature class. So we were looking at stuff that had actual literature connected to it. Sure. Yeah. Um, so what's interesting about Salem's Lot, actually, I've always found this interesting about Stephen King, when he turned in Salem's Lot to his editor, um, his editor was like, all right, so I like the book because I like what you do, but you realize that after this, you're going to have to get comfortable with people calling you a horror writer. And he was like, well, why? He's like, because that's two in a row. And you know, Carrie kind of blew the socks off people, so this one's going to do the same thing. You're just going to have to get used to it. So he was just like, all right, cool. Even though he actually does not like being called a horror writer. No, yeah. yeah. And I, I think to a to a degree he has kind of escaped that little bit. Mm-hmm. It took a while. I mean, he's, he's, he's known as, like, the spooky guy. Oh, sure, yeah. He, he's, he, yeah. People know he does other stuff as well. Yeah. I know that, like, in the mid-'90s, there's some Charlie Rosa um, 
yes, I am that dork. There's some Charlie Rose interviews where he, you know, Charlie Rose is basically trying to get him to admit that he's a yeah. horror writer, and he's like, listen, I'm a suspense writer, if I'm anything. Like, yeah, sure, you know, I write whatever I want, but yeah, I mean, I do the suspense thing all the time, because I like for stories to move and clip, and I, I want to feel certain things, and suspense is, you know, that fits what are, I'm doing. Are we talking you know? about, like, why we want to read, like, scary books and stuff? I got Stephen King. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> oh. But I came in like, to, I was going, why is all his books set in Maine? And I was on a research bench. <laughs> well, because like, he's from Maine. Yeah. yeah, well, that's like mm -hmm. part of it. Yeah, he's from Bangor. I, I think, like, just from like interviews with him and stuff, I think literally he can't stop writing. And yeah. he, he, he just writes whatever's on his mind. And what happens to be on his mind is usually a guy in Maine. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's why that kind of turns out like that. Can I throw a mild spoiler alert about Stephen King that always entertains me a little mm -hmm. bit? Uh, in the Dark Tower books, the... Oh, no, 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 you can't what? spoil those! Well, how, how far into the Dark Tower series? Yeah, listen, you can't spoil those. I'm sorry, we're, we're still reading, you can't know. Oh, right, you I, haven't finished? Watched them I, I, I know the ending. I've, I heard that a long time ago, but like as far as a character death... Have you finished stuff, book? I've read the first two. Okay, never mind. Oh, I thought you were done. Okay, and I didn't know you, you planned on reading them all. I have a whole set waiting at home. You can't <laughs> okay. spoil them. Oh, gosh. You're so, like, there's one super metacognitive moment in the Dark Tower books that just... I, I need to talk to more people about it because <laughs> it says so much for Stephen King's... All right, so here's my question yeah. to you, actually, because I actually feel this way. Like, now the interview with the vampire is out there. I, it's not a Stephen King property, but... I'm boiling up to the question. So now that Interview with the Vampire is out there, and now that Mayfair Witches is out there, yeah. and we're seeing Anne Rice getting the Game of Thrones treatment, why do you feel Dark Tower hasn't had that treatment yet? Well, I think they tried, and it failed horribly with... Um, with that movie? With that movie, yeah. That's a... And that that was, that was I don't WB, know if that's right? a try. Like, does that count as a try? Maybe just like an abortion. Wait, there, yeah, was, right. there, there was a movie? Woo! Yeah, Woo! exactly. Yes, um, with, with the lovely, delicious Idris Elba. Uh, and he he and Matthew McConaughey. I was going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, good casting. Um, they were good casting for the two roles. Yeah. Um, it, like, the tone and aesthetic of the film, I think, was there. Okay. I, I, the acting, the tone, aesthetic, but they J.J. Abrams did. Mm. So here's, again, bouncing yeah, off of my question, like, but that question, if you were like, to get the treatment, how accurate do you would you and the fan base want it to be there to is, the source material? I think it could be pretty... At there least. could be. There's a level of accuracy within this, and which I have to preface the Dark Tower discussion with. Um, he ties in Salem's Lot. Oh, he right. ties in Hearts in Atlantis. It, right? Um, it. Well, yeah. technically not it. I mean, there, there are a couple connections from it. There's an like, Easter egg. The stand. There's, um, oh my gosh, oh, I totally really? forgot the name of the, the deity, the, the, yeah. the turtle, the great turtle. I can't remember his name. Atuan? Hmm? Not Atuan. I have to come back to it. But the Great Turtle in the Dark Tower books. Oh. But I think the turtle is referenced clearly in it. Um, oh, he okay. gives the young boy knowledge of how Mar to beat. Maturin? Hmm? Maturin? 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 I'm, I, it's been, I'd have to look it up, but yes. I can't it has a name like that. This is this one. Mat Maturin. I'm, we're probably both saying it way off. 
But like, there's this there's a spiritual connection between like a deity that factors in both the Dark Tower, not super heavily, factors a little bit more in it. But like, even the clown from it, um, you get to meet another breed of that being, oh, like a different um, version a different of iteration. that being. Yes, thank you. Um, so there's a lot of things in the Dark Tower books. If they were to create like this awesome epic Game of Thrones miniseries, yeah, right. Um, do you think it could as just a super end up fan, expanding into the other series, like it universes? It could, but they either have to make the decision right now, like we're either gonna leave some things on the cutting room floor for the sake of not forcing our hand to branch into those things, yeah. because some things are, as a fanboy, I'd be like, yes, right, but. Yeah. As someone who understands what deserves to be cut, sometimes I think a lot of it, because it's 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 so all over the place, like and beautifully so. Yeah. But I think there's a lot, um, like even book four, wait, four, book five, book eight. I'm trying to think what there's one of the books in the Dark Tower that's technically goes back in time. It doesn't really go back in time, oh, okay. but like this narrative, so you understand things going on in the next book. Oh, uh, well, sure. Like sure, the sure. entire book is in the past. Yeah. The viewpoints of the past. Um, we own this book. So would that necessarily work to have like three, four seasons of Dark Tower, they're doing their thing, and then all of a sudden like, oh, the next season is going to become entirely set in the oh, past. Oh, that's what you're saying. So they would have to play with Maybe they can go things yeah. early enough for the audience to... So, yeah. okay, yeah. I think they could definitely include a, a lot of like of the small details. Sure. But I think some of them probably are going to end up getting cut, and I wouldn't be. The, but the problem, like comparison to um, the movie, just there was a hodgepodge. It was like this. They had the idea. They wanted to do a few things, and a few things worked. But what work were they trying to emulate? Because right. it doesn't seem like they partially they're doing the first one elements from other later books um, and things that completely reinvented. Now, there is a weird cyclical nature to the Dark Tower. If you ever get to the very end, you'll figure figure out what I mean. But is it like the Wheel of Time? It just keeps recreating and spitting out new stories? No spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> but, okay, fine. But fine. like, I'll leave them. <laughs> they tried to explain like that's an it like a, a, an, a, re, like a retelling of the Dark Tower story. It, it, and it could work. It could work. The movie should have worked, but it just did not work. Like, and it made me not want to go see it because I sat there with my friend Amy um, on the steps of the theater, and we were just like, "What the hell did we just watch?" <laughs> like, Idris, you're beautiful. Matthew McConaughey, you're great. You know, and also beautiful. I was gonna they're, say, they're both also beautiful. But hey, 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 so hey. yes, they could give it the Game of Thrones treatment, but <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. There, there's so much to consider. Like that would be. I think that would be as ambitious as the Harry Potter films. Like, you need to lock people in. I mean, Game of Thrones was ambitious. We yeah. Don't, we don't like to think of it that way now. But well, yeah, yeah, the Game of Thrones. Big um, deal. I mean, they could do it with the movie, but they could do it with the series. And I think one season per book, you know, however they wanted to work it. Yeah. Um, All right. It, could, it, it would be ambitious. Like, I think it could potentially be as big, if not bigger, than Game of Thrones. Depending on so, how they wanted to really. I mean, it definitely covers really, more yeah. stylistic ground. And there, you know, there's something that happens. I'm going to be all over the place today, but it's fine. No, there's something great. that happens when authors die mm -hmm. that terrifies me. Now, now that I think about it, King's children are <laughs> and wife are uh, they are all writers and creators themselves. So I feel like they would lock everything down anyway, um, and they'd be like, they they would be harder to get through than 
Disney. Like, yeah. They'd be like, oh, you want to make a Stephen King property? Do you want him to roll over in his grave and come back? Uh-uh. No, wait, wait, wait. You're wait. not getting nothing. Oh, this is the past. I'd have to track it down, but I believe there's an... I'm trying to think which movie. Maximum Overdrive, maybe? Stephen King? The one that he directed? Did he? Yeah. And it was atrocious and bad. Was his it? Last, like, because a lot of people forget that he did that. And people ask him sometimes, like, hey, Stephen King, like, your adaptations, film adaptations, generally don't do well. Why don't you direct one? Have you seen Maximum Overdrive? You don't want me to direct my own movies. It's really funny that people have that opinion of his of his adaptations because it's like, actually, quite a few some of them are pretty good. I mean, yeah. Well, it's not just that. It's like, so famously, the audience that is listening to this may not know this, but we all in this room all know this. Famously, he loathes Stanley Kubrick's the Shining. He's yeah. very wrong. Yeah, he very and in much. Fact, I, I love Stephen King, but he is very wrong. Right. I feel like, and, and part of this, like, the, I think the first time I heard him describe this, like, I was like, oh, that would be a horrible thing to experience. Um, he said that when he went to see The Shining, you know, the film premiere, yeah. he said that he had to wait until the theater emptied out, and then he sat with, on the floor with his head tucked between his knees because he was hyperventilating because that's how painful the experience of watching that movie was for him. Um, and I think what's fascinating to me about that is that Kubrick is, you know, was an iconic film director, which is why he got the job, right, in the first place. And he was coming up at adapting this work as a filmmaker. And... King had not yet had enough experience with that process to recognize that the movie that is made of your work might be a fantastic movie and not take much from your work at all. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. like that that it that that things have to change in order for the visual medium to be as good as it can be and that there are things in the book like in a book that you simply absolutely cannot do on screen and vice versa. Like there are things that you do on screen that if you try to do it in a book, it's impossible. It just doesn't make any sense. It, the, the tools are not there, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think it makes sense to me that like he would have such a reaction because he was still writing from that personal space of like, it's my baby, it's the thing that yeah, I love, you know? Especially because like he was so connected with that in the first place because he wrote the whole entire Shining because of his experiences in the hotel that it's set in. That, and I feel like he personally identified, like he put a lot of Probably. himself in Jack Torrance. Yeah, and right. The, the, the movie The Shining definitely changes a lot about that character, uh, where, where in the book it's a essentially good man being corrupted by this haunted hotel. I wonder, though, if that's yeah. because of, like... Yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously, like, we can do that anyways. Like, in TV series, it's a little bit easier to do that. But, but because the book is, like, what, like, how many pages? Like, like 300. It's not, Wait, it's like not which one, one of those longer ones. Shining. Oh. Shining. That's, well, like, 300, 300. But, like, like you can expand on a character through that mm-hmm. in that 300 pages. And mm-hmm. it could, like... It is hours upon hours of him trying to figure out the correct wording and correct prose to, like, get his character across that he is probably a good character who's been corrupted by evil spirits that are probably residing within this hotel. Mm-hmm. And he's slowly just losing it because he can't understand what's going on, and you can see that in the prose. But in a two-and-a-half-hour-long movie, or however long the movie is... It's about two-and-a-half hours. Great. 
But like in there, you have to cut all that 300 pages worth of character arc down to two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. And you're just, yeah. No, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, it, it does show that slow decay and everything, but mm-hmm. what I was just gonna say was, you know, we're in the book, he's a good man corrupt, that, that is corrupted. In the film, he's more obviously an abusive, um, distant father, yeah. husband, who, the, the, if you believe that it's at, the hotel is actually haunted, you know, he uses this stuff basically as an excuse to mm. go ham. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> like it was all inside him from the beginning. Right, exactly. It, which is just a different take on it. So. It is, and I feel like, but I think that's one of those things that, like I, transphobic or not, she is, I respect J.K. Rowling so much for her approach to the Harry Potter adaptations because she was like, you know what? They're movies. And things there are, are going to have things, to be cut. Yeah, and she's like, and there are certain things that are non-negotiables. Like, for example, when she showed up to like the sixth book like table reading, yeah. there was a line apparently where, like, you know the part in the movie where Dumbledore goes to pick up Harry yeah. um, to take him back to Hogwarts? Yeah. Because <laughs> Dumbledore's like interrupting a date. Oh, Apparently no, in the original yeah. script, Dumbledore's like, I remember a girl with raven hair. And like he's describing this girl he was apparently in love with. And J.K. Rowling's reading this line as Dumbledore's reading it. And she writes on her script, Steve, Dumbledore's gay. And like shoots it up the table. And he, he picks it up and he looks at her and goes, oh. <laughs> like, like it was just one of those moments where it was like, Oh, like that's a character thing that you like, could just really tell that the person did not read the book in yeah, that moment. Like, so you just like cut out a line, and it, it doesn't change or shift. You yeah. know what I mean? That's different than like let's say Harry loses at the end. Like that's a or you know what I mean? Like it's it, it it it's a difference between like treating the the books as if as if they're like sacred ground that you can't stomp on, whereas you know that that forces the people making the adaptation into an uncomfortable situation. Like, they have to have room to, to figure out how to piece this thing together and say what it is they're trying to say. They have to be but able also, to take that 300 pages and cram it into two and a half hours. But also, I think especially these days, like, directors get a bad rap for not being Stanley Kubrick, which is to say for not having a perspective. So that if I go and I watch a Stanley Kubrick film, I'm going to know it's a Stanley Kubrick film because there are certain things that he just, that he's doing, that he's saying, that he's, and The Shining as he was reading it fit into that Stanley Kubrick film psychosis in a completely different way than it fit into the Stephen King is writing a book psychosis. Mm -hmm. And I think what's interesting about King's adaptations, to veer back, towards the... We're going to veer back <laughs> towards that, the subject. Yeah. Is that as successful as that film is, um, it's clear he learned his, like, whatever he needed to learn because then you get down to Shawshank Redemption, which is, I mean, oh my God. No, that that and The Shining are the two best. Yes. My goal in life yeah. is to visit that actual prison. Really? You want to do, like, a ghost hunter? Yeah. yeah. Oh. It, that, that's in Mansfield. That's in Ohio. Mm-hmm. I did not that's, know that's that. That's the Ohio State Reformatory. That's an actual Well, you know they didn't place. shoot that thing in Ohio because it's too pretty. And <laughs> we all know. Sorry for y'all who live or have family or folks in Ohio. I got people I love in Ohio, too. That is not a pretty state. Next. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, they filmed it there. They, they filmed it at the prison. Really? 
actually yeah. they do have that prison exists. Like if you look at pictures they of that at the prison, yeah. Wow, they have a good library system too. It's not. Okay. All right. That's. I mean, I like it's. It's probably one of the better recognized in the country. Really. Mm-hmm. And they're a swing state. Well, they have to have something, I guess. You know. I say we go to war with Ohio. No, I'm just. Oh, we no, we already not, did that. We, we can't take, do that again. We, we need to take back Toledo. <laughs> yeah, no, <right>. listen. <laughs> they can have Toledo. The last time we had a war, Wisconsin lost, and we got the Upper Peninsula. I mean, we got the better thing. I'd say. So, okay, what is your favorite thing about reading a Stephen King anything? Oh, you know? favorite thing about it, not favorite book, favorite thing? Just favorite thing about reading him, like, as a, as a writer. Is that, the adrenaline, the suspense. That's a general question, I'm just starting with Suspense Andy, and adrenaline that I get from, him. like, reading it, because I'm like, okay, I need to put this down, because there's a lot happening, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you're like, no, I don't, I need to keep going, mm-hmm. and yeah. there's a lot that comes from base like his horror stuff and like just in general is just very precise enough that I'm sitting there just going I like this this is a formula that I can get behind because like I can see the suspense happening and my brain is going like five different different directions because I don't know where he's going but I have some bets on which what's gonna happen next sure yeah I I've always liked his he's always been a strong we talk about horror writer, but he's always been, been a very strong fantasy writer. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, right. The Dark Tower, again, referencing The Dark Tower, because it's probably my favorite work of his to date. Yeah. And it's not just one, it's all of them. Yeah. Because, like, what, by the time I got done, I was like, wow. Um, but he, I mean, even there, there's Arthurian legend mm-hmm. is told through the Dark Tower books. Yeah. Um, literally, like, the Roland Deschamps, the gunslinger, he is descended from King Arthur. And they talk yeah. about it in the book. So there's, but even in those like horror novels, there's a fantasy element, like the world building, the story, the lore behind, mm-hmm. usually the protagonist or the villain, whatever. Uh, antagonist, not protagonist, but like, there's usually some deeper, it's not just some random. Right. Like even the killers typically are influenced by some otherworldly supernatural thing, which in and of itself, in his, the king verse, has a deeper history to that. Yeah. Um, we, I, we were, as we were talking earlier in the workroom, I I pointed out to you that I feel like he is the last of his kind in terms of writers, particularly in the United in the United States. I don't think we're ever going to get another writer like Stephen King because he is a part of a generation that grew up reading pulp magazines. Um, and he's frequently, I mean, throughout his whole career, he's always said, you know, that he loved the pulp magazines growing up as a kid, which is un, um, is was very characteristic of people like, I mean, Heinlein and all these other the people who are known for yeah. science fiction and fantasy, like the big names of his generation, who are who would be the same age as him or what have you. They also grew up reading the pulps and were influenced by him, but he never saw the partitions that they saw. He never looked at literature as a thing where, well, this story is a science fiction story, or this one's a fantasy, or this one's a western, or this one's a horror. He never did that. He was like, oh, it just feels like that one story that one time that I read, or it feels like a group of stories that I read in Weird Tales one time, or like, he's just subconsciously pulling from the stuff that made him want to write, and he's never stopped. And he has a really, like, 
he reads that way too, like, because he was a reviewer for the Entertainment Weekly for like I think a decade or more. Um, and he was doing it as Harry Potter was coming out. And one of the things he frequently talked about um, in the pages of Entertainment Weekly and in other places, he always said that he felt um, that Harry Potter like humbled him as a writer because he was like, yeah, I'm Stephen King. Like he was like a beast. He was like, yes, New York Times bestselling author, Stephen King, yes, awesome. And then he picks up this children's book about a boy wizard and was like, oh, she's better than me. <laughs> like, he's just like, he's like, I mean, she uses way too many adverbs, but dang, she's better than me. And like, he just like, yeah. the whole time, you know, and he would say at every, like every like review for each new book, he'd be like, yeah, you know, We'll see if she can finish the series as well as she started it out. But each one keeps getting better. But we'll see. And then book seven came out, and like the, at the very tail end, he's like, "Girl still has a problem with those adverbs, but God, she's good." Like it was so, like, it'd be, and I think part of that comes from the fact that he just reads so widely. Like he will read and review a highbrow literary fiction novel, and then he'll read a Harry Potter novel, and then he'll read a horror book. Like he doesn't. And then he's got see. Rick Riordan, there you go. Yeah, like, he doesn't yeah. see genre, like, he just, you know, yeah. And that kind of goes into what I was going to say, that, like, my favorite part of reading Stephen King um, yeah. is the voice. Mm. Um, and I think part of that is the way that he just absorbs pop culture, high and low, mm-hmm. and he just rattles off, like, you know, it feels like, I don't know, it feels like like you're reading, you're, you're talking to some random guy from Maine, you know, <laughs> telling you the story, like, yeah. Um, no, I just think he, especially in like horror um, or genre fiction, whatever you want to say, I, he has a very particular singular voice mm. that you know you're reading one of his books. Like it, it yeah. can't, you can't, it can't be mistaken for anybody else. That's yeah, and that's hard. Then the scope of his novels. Yeah, yeah. I there's a <laughs> there's this great. Everyone should go look this up. It's on YouTube. It's him and George R. R. Martin. I, I think, so Stephen King was doing his Mr. Mercedes trilogy at the time, and I think it was the third one was coming out, and then um, I think Dance of Dragons had come out, so like, you know, they're on tour together, because who else are you going to send on tour with the guy who just put out Dance of Dragons? I mean, you know, um, and they're on stage together, and they start talking, and they're chattering, and Stephen King goes, all right, George, listen, your books are too damn big. Like... It was he to be like, talking about oh, this. Right, right. That's what I was like, are you serious? And he's like, no, seriously, bro. Like, I was like, not even going to read your books in preparation for this. But my wife, my wife is very clever. She has these, this, this monster book sitting on her nightstand, and she's reading like 10 pages at a time because that's how she reads. And like, I'm not touching this thing. I know this is coming up. And then what happens? I get sick randomly in Florida. So I'm laying there on antibiotics, can't sleep, can't do anything else. Those big books are staring at me on my wife's nightstand. So, you know, I pick up the first one and I'm like, these aren't going to be that great. This guy's too popular for this to be that great. (laughs) Right, Stephen King, of all people. (laughs) You literally said that's about J.K. Rowling. So he just flips open and he's like, I, I, I couldn't put them down, George. I, I could not put them down. You're too good. How do you do It was the greatest. Mo- and like then George R. R. Martin, like, because he's so glib, he turns to the audience and he goes, huh? Stephen King's one of my fans. <laughs> like, it, was so, it was like the, the best moment. It was, it was really cool just to watch. And it, it, I think the thing that's great about 
the, those two in particular is that like George R. R. Martin always feels like he's a little a little boy reading pulp magazines from New Jersey, and Stephen King always feels like he's the little boy reading you know pulp magazines from Maine. So there's that like thing of like these two people. Who both read pulp magazines. Yeah, and they could never have, they ne- they may never have ever been what they are now, mm-hmm. but they just can't stop. Like, they are, they're so obsessive about this thing that they do, and people just happen to oh. really want more and more and more, you know, of their, of their work. So, you know. I don't it know. wasn't sent to you, Greg. Oh, I find, I, I, I was checking the time. Um, I, I don't know, I, I, it's, it's a fun video. You should all watch it. It's cool. No, I love his interviews. He's just a natural storyteller. Like every yeah. every anecdote is entertaining. It is. Yeah. He's, he's funny. He's hilarious. Yeah. yeah, he's so funny. They they even make. I think it was a. I think it was a Family Guy episode where they made fun of him. Yeah, they <laughs> did. Was, they did like three books of his, right? They did Misery. Well, no, there wasn't. Like oh. it was like this weird little. I, I can't remember the full context of the episode, but I can remember them him going up as like his publisher, and so Stephen, this is a book about a toaster that comes to life. And starts marauding around the small town, killing everyone. Oh, I was about to say, you can say you're and talking says, about Bray's little to- little toaster. And then he's like, "Yep, <sighs> Stephen, you're not even trying anymore, are you?" <laughs> Stephen doesn't say anything. He just pulls out like a big wad of money. He says, "Just take it." <laughs> <laughs> and because there have been times growing up over the years, I'm like, "Where?" Like, he's so like annoyingly creative and inventive. Mm-hmm. Like, just like. I mean, it, this, the scope of his works, I mean, horror, fantasy, sci-fi, mm-hmm. dystopian, mm-hmm. now, like, legit, like, I, this fairy tales book that everyone's talking about, and yeah. their excitement is, like, if, if this is my star of the sea, I'm done. But, <laughs> but no, I really think no, like, it comes from that it's a kind of reading that even, it's a kind of reading that creatives don't do anymore. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it's because it's harder to do that than it used to, like, than when he was growing up. But people find their niche or their favorite thing or their little genre or whatever. They find a little corner and they <coughs> read in that corner and they love that corner. And it's their polishing. It's their and then they of, become the little gremlin that just sits in the corner and you walk in yeah, the room like and they go, oh, yeah, don't go in that corner. That's where, um, that's where, uh this person lives and then you're just like well what do you mean and you walk over there and they just start like snarling at you because you know that's their corner yeah. and how dare you like try to grab them out of it and I suppose I'll have to amend my statement because I always forget how much Neil Gaiman has done I mean the, we stand Neil Gaiman I think Neil Gaiman is the other person yeah. that's just like he reads literally any you hand him a book and by the time you walk out of the room he's read it and has opinions and you're just like what what what? And, and like smart opinions. Like not just like, oh, it was good, it was bad. No, like the structure of this book reminds me of the time I first read R.A. Lafferty. Now R.A. Lafferty was really fun because when I met him in an elevator and you're like, really, Neil? Like, what? Like it's His Tumblr is hilarious too. He's hilarious. Yeah. But like it's that, Twitter, it's that same. Instagram. Yeah. They're creative minds already, but they don't take for granted the fact that they could, like I think they're terrified that they won't be able to create anymore. So they're constantly feeding the machine. Um, yeah. And so their output is as creative as it is because what they're putting into themselves is not limited by, well, I don't read that because I'm a 
you know, I write fantasy, so I can't read. Right. You know, you know what I mean? Like, I like, can't I, read I, the Amish Mennonite fiction because I write fantasy, and then you're like, yeah, well, I, what if they wore Amish clothing in your fantasy fiction? I don't know. I don't get that mindset at all. Like, it's but you know, yeah, there's so much you could learn from other stuff. Like, it's true, and as creatives, it's it's. It's strange for creatives to do it, but I find it so interesting. One of the things about working in libraries that I've always found interesting is the way that readers read, because that's how casual, everyday readers, that's how they read. Yeah. Like, if you tell them, like, if you say to a reader, oh, my gosh, I read this really cool book that I think you might like, and you pitch it to them that way, and you tell them what it's about, they're way more likely to read it than if you say, oh, my gosh, so I read this fantasy book, and if you're talking to someone who's a mystery reader, like, uh-uh. Like, they'll stop you. They're like, no, I don't read that. <laughs> and you're just yeah. like... But that's where you have to start with... So I read this book the other day, and it was about this, and it was really cool. Um, I think you should just read it. Don't tell them that there's orcs and dragons and it. Just, like, hand it to yeah, them, and then right. yeah. read it, and then they'll come back, and they'll be like, well, I didn't expect to read that, but there you go. Photoshop a cover. Yeah, yeah right. Fake, yeah. fake the, cover. <laughs> That's this a lot of work. We, we'll is, do anything to get a book in your hands. This yeah. is why we blind date with a book. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's just one of those, it's rare, way rare now for creators to, like, actually, like, take in everything, um, which is probably why creativity is really stale right now. Don't get me started. You know, just for the level of creativity and his range, um, one of my favorite, I have to reference the movie because it's a movie he also likes. Shawshank Redemption mm. and if you've read the story it's such a beautiful story which kind of messed with me a little bit because it's in that little collection of books and like all the other stories in that book were like horrific and terrible <laughs> and not like bad but just like rough. you want to take a shower afterwards yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> um, I didn't like, know you were in a Stephen King story like and I, I know it was like it was a, it is a moment of like aspiration but like ultimately it was a story about hope but um like how beautiful it was and how unlike I mean at the time of reading it mm. how unlike it was like anything else of his that I'd read so it's like his range is just it is incredible oh my gosh speaking of adaptations does anyone remember when the Green Mile was out like came out 96 oh my gosh I was barely conscious but I, it, that movie I was, was one so it's, it's, in, a, it's an amazing movie it was I've never seen it partially because the furor around that movie like good furor but like mm -hmm. people were so about the Green Mile, and oh, then there was a whole group of like people, like my mom, who saw the Green Mile, and then you tell four. them they get to the end and they see the credits, and it's like uh, based on a novel by Stephen King. And my mom was like, "That's a Stephen King movie? No way!" And I'm like, "Shawshank is a Stephen King movie," and she goes, "But yeah, I always forget that's you know, you look yeah. at like." Yeah. He was telling an anecdote once where he there's like an old lady he was in line with somewhere, mm -hmm. maybe in a bookstore, and they, they were getting into a conversation, and she got into like how she didn't like Stephen King books, like, oh. <laughs> or something like that. I forget exactly. Yeah. But anyways, and then then basically said, you know, and she said, oh, but I love I love that Shawshank Redemption, <laughs> and he's like, you know, I wrote the Shawshank Redemption, and she didn't believe him. <laughs> of course, right? Like, yeah. why would you? <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Even thinking about the like the weird little translation from movie to book, like The Hearts at Atlantis is a really kind of sweet book. Mm. There is like, a tiny little element of magic in it. Sure. Um, more mind reading. Kind of. Oh, well, you it's, know, it's almost impossible to escape some yeah. like paranormal with Stephen King. Even, yeah, even if it is. Which yeah. is makes it's, it's an interesting part of his. Yeah, it is a nice little like. Yeah, he. I feel like. 
there's something in him that he's trying to figure out about the mind. Like, he recognizes the power of his own mind because he accesses his imagination so much. And part of me thinks he may fear it. Like, the idea, and so he's writing from a place of like, how do I understand this thing that I don't understand? Like, I don't know why I'm the person who does this so much, I just do it. But I think so many of his characters and stories having that like mental psychosis right. as part of, and you know. someone with a deeper knowledge um, of Stephen King, um, wasn't he famously rejected repeatedly by publisher after publisher after publisher? Um, and his in initial like forays into his yeah, Carrie. Well, no, he yes, he was published. He before Carrie, he was um, rejected a lot, and you know many writers are um, and then as he started Carrie he thought it was no good he threw it out Carrie was rejected 30 times oh wow um, that's 30 not, publishers. I mean, it's, it's not surprising I just didn't realize the number was that high but um, so he, threw, he threw Carrie out his wife had had a habit had developed a habit at this point of going through his trash can before emptying it because she frequently would find like manuscript pieces in there. But most of the time she would just throw them out. Like she'd be like, oh yeah, that was pretty bad, and throw them out. But Carrie was the first one where she read it, read all of it that he had written so far, and came to him and he was at a, like he was like, I was at a point of desperation, I was losing my mind, and I think she knew that, and she approached me at the right time. And she goes, Hun, I think this one is one you should keep going because it's pretty good and he's like but it's about a teenage girl I don't know anything about teenage girls and she goes you married someone who used to be one maybe ask me about it and he was like oh oh and so that's why Carrie even happened so you know also really quick I was thinking about something I needed to tell you um, did you know that Stephen King has a son named Joe yes I'm not joking but he is King. Oh my God. Uh, speaking of shenanigans, I should read his son. Actually, I've. I've I think I think Annie needs I, to figure I, out the smack that they created. Oh, oh yeah, Lock and Key, right? You've, yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. And uh, Robert Rodriguez was the uh, co-written by Joe Hill and Robert. Rod yeah, Robert Rodriguez. I have to double check. Robert Rodriguez. I, I forget Robert. No, I think Rodriguez. it's Gabriel Rodriguez. I have to look it up. But anyways, okay, so smack. We have a we have a an uncomfortable one. <laughs> an uncomfortable one. Pennywise, Bozo, and Ronald McDonald. Oh, I see. Um, I don't know anything about. Yeah, who Pennywise, is Bozo? But Bozo <gasps> skipped from The Simpsons. Oh. Well, I thought his name he was... He had that uh, TV show, Krusty. like the little, little children's show they go oh, on. Oh, you're right. No, it is Krusty. I always confuse Krusty with Bozo. Like for, like Bozo from the old black and white children's yeah. TV show? Okay. There was even a colored one in the late 80s. Or early okay, 90s. well, he, he creep, they all kind of creep me out to very See, I'm just going to marry Pennywise because uh, it's Bill Skarsgård, and that's all I need to know. Uh, uh, what about oh, Tim okay. Curry? I, I would rather marry the Tim Curry one because he'd be more fun, I think. For me, anyway. Okay, so okay. I just feel like I, does this mean we're getting rid of Ronald <laughs> I, I think we're gonna kill. can I just go can I just go to prison for being the clown killer okay I, I, <laughs> like I, I just kill all of them that's well you know the world's first serial killer of clowns 
I mean, it'd be I'm a gonna... complete juxtaposition from like 2016. You're right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what? Did anyone else find that weird? Hmm. The whole clowns killing people thing in 2016. This is like did the weirdest ending we've ever had ever. No, maybe they were just showing up. Does this up mean I have yeah, the okay. kinda, joke again? So they didn't actually kill people? I don't think so. Yes, oh, I, I, I think Aaron needs fact, to tell her what, joke again. Okay. Uh... Because they have to, they have to get the listeners have to guess where, what they're from. So a clown, a psychopath, and a prom queen all walk into a bar, and they ask the bartender, "Excuse me, I'm lost. Can you help me direct me to the cemetery? I need to bury my cat." I thought they needed to resurrect their cat. That too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no. So they bury the cat, and instead of the cat coming back, it's actually a dog. Woof. Oh. Oh. So wait, you had a clown thing. You were doing a clown thing. What? With the smack? Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, no. yeah, yeah, no. I, I'm going I, to the desk. I'll see I'll you. I'll be up in a minute. I'm going to kill Pennywise okay. just because he's a murderous oh, no. evil clown. Yeah. I'm going to kill Bozo because he's slightly creepier. Did you just say you're going to kill both clowns? Gonna, you I, can only pick one. No, I'm going to kill Bozo. Okay. You're gonna kill Bozo because he creeps me out slightly more than Ronald McDonald. Even though there's a certain malevolence to Ronald McDonald. That's yeah. He's, mm, he's really the bigger killer. Of yeah. He, I was gonna say he has the be- biggest uh, oh head count. Oh that's true. He would, Yeah. That's true. He Pennywise would. is like, "What kind of clown are you?" And Ronald comes out of what? You an amateur? I've killed millions of children. And I just want to know why the Joker wasn't included in this. Because I, I want to go a little bit more uncomfortably crowned. He has a vaudevillian-wise. I'm like, uh, he has a very vaudevillian theatrical look. That's true. I was going to say, he has one.